0: In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence, assurance, for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love, Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And Lord... As we come towards the end of 1 John, we have seen your words of eternal life, and we have laid our lives out next to them. And God, it's been my goal to offer to these students assurance of eternal life, and you have assured some. And Lord, you've convicted others. And Lord, it's it's my prayer that you would draw us all to your Son, that we can experience true assurance of what it is to have eternal life and the joy thereof. So lead us through the passage tonight, Father, and touch our hearts and speak to them. We pray because of Jesus. Amen. So, here we are in, what is this, probably like our tenth or so message in First John. Um, I do know that this is our third message looking at, having assurance of eternal life on the basis of loving other believers. So that's where John's been going. Okay, let, let me let me recap for us where we're at. John writes to Christians because there are people in the church who are making them doubt what they believe. They don't know for sure if they're Christians anymore. And I, for the longest time as a high schooler, was at that spot where I did not know. I did not have that assurance of my salvation. I was always worried Sick that I might not go to heaven. Because Man, the enemy just like lies to you all the time and I believed it all. So every stinking sinner's prayer I ever heard was as if it was the first time praying it, passionately desperate. God, hear me and save me. I, I wanted to know and I was struggling with that. And let me tell you that when you get that assurance, that know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved, oh, <laughs> The joy of your walk with Christ flourishes and blossoms. As we've been using the illustration of skydiving, skydiving is really fun, I'm told. I don't have the courage to try. If you jump out with a parachute. (laughs) And you know, though, you know that it's a parachute because you packed it properly. And as some of you know, if it doesn't get packed properly, it doesn't open up properly, and you don't land properly. So it's a lot of fun when you know that it's packed properly and you jump out with that assurance that I'm going to land safely. But now, if some kid just gives you a, 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 a parachute, some five-year-old kid, hey, I packed this for you, and you put that on your back and you're about to jump out of the plane, I am not full of confidence that that thing's going to open. I might be wondering if he put his lunch in the back and if there's a Dr. Pepper that's going to fly out when I open it. I have no clue what's going to happen. And that's called assumption. That's me assuming that I'm going to jump out and land fine because there's a parachute in there when I really have no idea. That's not fun. I mean, it might be fun until you pull the string and realize the Dr. Pepper came out and, oh, dear, a brown little lunch bag's trying to bring you down. not going to work out too good for you. So... That's that's John's goal, is that as we're on the flight of life, we jump out into death with full assurance that we're going to land into the arms of our Savior and have eternal life. He doesn't want anybody assuming they're Christians. There's a lot of that in the church today. A lot of people assuming. Oh yeah, I'm here. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. I love everybody. Well, that's what we've been looking at. John shows us how to know that you are indeed a Christian. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. So what he's basically said so far in our book is two qualifications for assurance. The first is, love Jesus. The second is, love others. That are, those are the qualifications. Now, how do we know we love Jesus? He's been defining that for, for the first two and a half chapters of the book. This is what it means to love Jesus. And we, you know, we've gone about six messages through that. Now he's turned the tide in chapter 4, and he's explaining to us what it means to love other people. And this is what we've seen so far. What does it mean to love others? It means first that we love them with a sacrificial generosity. A sacrificial generosity. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. John said that this is how we're to love each other. As Jesus gave his life for us, so we are to give our lives for our friends. Now that doesn't mean go commit suicide for your friends. He in the next verse says, If you see somebody who has a need, and you withhold the need from them, you're not loving them. So when I see needs in the brothers and sisters, my in your need is loving. That's a sacrificial generosity. Giving of myself as Christ did for us to meet your needs. Um, then the second thing we saw is that, this was a rather bizarre one last week in chapter 4, um, he started talking about false teachers and false philosophies and don't buy into them, let the Holy Spirit guide you into truth and there are tests for how to know if a teaching is true or false. The point of that passage was we love each other by protecting each other from false philosophies. So the more we love and the more we're unified, the less we're going to have little people pop off and stray into false teachings and thus lead leave themselves down to some road of hell or something. Because that unity will keep us protected. So we will all have assurance of eternal life if we love each other in that unity and keep ourselves guarded in the truth of Jesus Christ. That brings us to chapter 4, verse 7. And this uh, morning, hello, this evening, we look at the fact that we, um, we have assurance of eternal life if God's love is perfected in us as an extension of his love to us. If God's love is perfected a scary word. His love is perfect in me towards other people as an extension of his love for me. That's what's going on. Perfected love. Then I have assurance of eternal life. Now, um perfect? Really? If if God's love is perfected in me, is that possible? That's the perfect word. That's like only God's status. It is definitely impossible. So, all I have to say is that we're screwed. Let's go home and pray desperately. No, we're not going (laughs) to quite end it like that. Um, (laughs) Perfect is impossible, but this is what he says in verse 12. Um, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, then what happens is God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Catch that? We're not perfecting our love. That is definitely impossible. We're perfecting His love in us. So this is God's work, bringing His love into full completion in my life. That is possible. The question is, are we there? So, perfect love is perfect assurance of eternal life. So, do we have this perfect love? Did you notice down there in verse um, 17, it says, by this is love perfected, and then he goes on and says, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That's assurance. So, perfect love brings that assurance. Verse 18 says, perfect love does not fear. It casts out fear. That fear is relating to the future judgment day. That's where people that are sinning are scared to death of Judgment Day. But if you have assurance of eternal life, John says, don't worry about the future judgment. Have no fear. Because love has been perfected in you. So, we'll get into that in just a minute. So, that's where he's going here. Now, what is perfect love? How does God's love get perfected in my life? What does that look like? What is that? In verse 12... Um, as we already read, we see that if we love, then God abides in us and He perfects His love in us. So perfect love is the completion of God's love in me coming out to love others. It's the completion of His love in me because it comes out to love others. Okay? Think of a circle. You're going to have two halves of a circle. So two, what are they called? Crescents? Something like that. Two crescents. Put them together, you have, a, you have a full, complete circle. Separate, they're incomplete. So, my uh, how does this go? Um, <laughs> my love for God is one half of the circle. So I'm pursuing God. I'm loving Him. One half. So then, God's love for me is the other half. So my love for Him, His love for me. If those two things are in operation, his love is complete. But if I'm only loving him, and his love is not in me, then you have a half circle and it's incomplete. If his love is in me, completing the circle, then it's going to come out and affect other people, thus making my, uh, his love in me complete. Now, we're go- I'm going to show you how that works, okay? So I'm going to bend your brain a little bit to show you that if God's love is in us, it has to come out of us, and that completes our love. So going to Him and coming to us and going out, this is the whole perfected, completed love syndrome. I'll I'll show you how this works, okay? So, if your love is not complete, John wants to say, it's obsolete. Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Pretty clear. Uh, verse 21. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. In other words, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. So if I'm only doing this half circle thing where it's me loving God and I'm not experiencing God's love in me bursting out to other people, then my The love is not complete. It's a half-circle. It's incomplete. And John says an incomplete love is an obsolete love. If you're not loving people, you don't love God at all. That's his severe bottom line. That's, That's how he concludes it. So the love has to be perfected or we don't love each other. The Christian loves people because God is love what verse 8 said. God is love. That's so why we have to love each other. Verse 7 says, Let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So my knowing God is its not like this intellectual knowledge or like how many of you guys know Albert Pujols hit three home runs last night? You know? Oh yeah, we know that in the head. But my knowledge of God isn't just, yeah, I know he's a big guy in the sky. If that's all you know, God help you. (laughs) My knowledge of God is an experiential connection with him. Um, You know how the Bible often says that Adam knew Eve? Okay, like by that time, he knew his name, her name, a long time ago. That's not what it's saying. (laughs) They they did their husband-wife thing. They became one. My knowing God is very similar I become, in fact, in verse 13 it talks about him being in me and I being in him. So that's not just me being inside of him, that's him being inside of me while I'm inside of him. you see how like completely morphed we become in Christ? And so if God is love and love comes from God, then my being in God and knowing God means that I have to love and love has to come from me as well. And this connection is so intricate that John says something as bold as saying we're born of God. Think, think about a baby that comes out of a woman. It, it was, it's totally of her and the husband. All the genes and everything, it's all them combined in this new life. that came out from her. She didn't create it out of other foreign substances. It's of her and from her. And that's our relationship to God, that we're of Him and from Him as believers. We become so much a part of Him that because He's loved, we have to love. Or you have absolutely no part in Him. So, (laughs) that's why we have to love. Now, it says that God is love. Because no man has seen God, verse 12, right? Nobody has ever seen God. But, if we love one another, they see God. God is love. In that sense. You can't see God. But he manifests, yeah. But that's that's not okay. Um, no man has seen God in His full glory, but we see God manifest Himself through love. This is what that phrase in look at. Okay, verse seven says that love is from God. Verse eight says that God is love. So I take that phrase, "Love is from God." to mean that hit, that um, love emanates from God like the light emanates from the sun. Okay? So, you can't see God, but when we love each other, God manifests Himself through that love and the world begins to see God in our love for one another. God is not... Oh, God is love, but love... Watch it. Okay. Love is not God. So... Verse 8 says, God is love, but you can't reverse that and say love is God. It doesn't work that way. That's why I think verse 7 in there saying love is from God is important. Because it's that image of, you have the sun, it's the source, light comes out, it emanates from the sun. So you could say that the sun is light, but you can't say that light is the sun. You follow that? The light coming from these bulbs here, you can't just make the logical conclusion that, oh, there's light. This is the sun. Um, If it is, then Tim just broke the sun over there. We're all in trouble. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm like totally, i am totally think of all that again. So God is love. (laughs) Love emanates from Him like light from the sun, but love is not God. So this means that we can't have like revel in romantic relationships and think like, Oh, this is God right here. I'm worshiping God through this feeling, through this person. Okay, you could come to a false conclusion by thinking if God's love and love is God so I can just like totally do whatever I want feel like with this person and I'm totally with God because God's here in this love like this mystical thing or in any appreciation for something that we have like I just love baseball so much and I think that if I watch every stinking game and, and worshipped Albert Pujols' majesty hitting three home runs last night and oh that's God that's like Tim saying that that light bulb he just broke is the sun <laughs> It comes... Love comes from God. It's a manifestation of Him, like light from the sun, okay? So that's how no one's seen God, but we can see Him when we begin to love each other. He's manifesting Himself. Now, He's manifested this love to us through His Son. Verses 9 and 10 talk about this. He gave Jesus to us. Is how He showed love. This is what love is. That Jesus came and He died, as He calls it, the propitiation. That basically means He satisfied the wrath of God for our sins. He saved us, in other words. That is the revealed love of God. That's the kind of love that we're dealing with here when it says God is love. He is a generous giver of everything that He has to meet our needs without ever expecting anything back in return from what He gives to us. That's His love that He gives to us. God's reaching love. Look at verse 10. This is everything I'm talking about here. And this is the love. So the love that comes from God is here in verse 10. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is love? It's not that we have loved Him. This isn't the kind of love we're talking about that's going to be perfected here. My love for Him is limited, but it's that He loved us a very different level of love and gave His Son for me. This is what you would call... I'm going to to call this God's reaching love. It just completely reaches for us regardless of the barriers regardless of our deserving, regardless if he gets anything back from it. It just completely reaches us. Now, our love to him, call that, his is the reaching love, ours is the leeching love. You know what it means to leech? You know what a leech is? A little parasite that sucks the blood out of its host? That's our love. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not, like, that um, crazy, if you think that I'm really crazy right now. Um, I'm actually stealing C.S. Lewis here. <laughs> he said this himself. Let me read it to you. <laughs> he says in the, his book, The Four Loves, If I may... <laughs> he, he even admits that he's kind of sketchy here. Um, if I may dare the biological image calling God a host... God's a host. Like, the a host animal that leech sucks the blood off of. It says, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites. That's us. So he's like this host animal. He says, I want parasites to suck my blood out of me. Bam! Yes! Here they are. Come take from me. that That's the image here, okay? So, <laughs> and then it says, um, he causes us to be those who exploit and take advantage of Him. This is love. That's how he concludes it. That's what John just said here. This is love. Not that we love Him, because that's what we are. We're leeches. We're parasites. We're clinging on to Him because we have a great need, and we're taking all... He gives us... And this is a good thing. I'm not knocking this at all. I'm just describing our type of love. We're sucking all the resources out of God because we need them. And are we contributing anything to God as we do so? Not a thing. I'm not saying we should because we can't. Don't even try. God owns the universe. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your money or anything. We're taking everything from Him. And He's like, just come. Just suck it out of me. Just take it from me. That's why this is not love that we love Him. It's that He loves us. So now look at the opposite. Our reaching love versus His reaching love. He just gave it, offered it, saying, I don't care if you deserve my kindness, I'm going to give it. I know you can't give anything back, so I'm going to give it. Quite a difference in the magnitude of love going on here. That is love that God just gave without our deserving. So verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, that's what I'm talking about. The type of love, just the full on reaching, giving, being sucked upon like a like a host and a leech sucking on Him. If God in that way loved us, He continues, we also ought to love one another. In other words, if God so loved us in that way, then that's the way we ought to love each other. Whoa. Yeah. Reaching love for one another. That if there's a brother in here with a magnificent. I don't know if that's a word, uh, a huge need, then I give out of love for him regardless if he can ever pay it back, regardless if he or she deserves it at all. This is the love we're talking about. This is perfected love. This is complete love. I love him, and then if his love is in me, it has to go out to other people, you see. Because if it's that strong of a love that He's willing to give everything with getting nothing in return, and that kind of love is in me, that is too powerful of a love just to sit here and say, Oh, I love people. That love has to burst out of me. It's bigger than me. It can't be contained within me. So for me not to let it go and reach every single need within the body of Christ is for me to withhold it, which is actually not God's reaching love, which shows that I actually don't have God's love in me at all. I'm contradicting the love that's in me. To come out of me if it is in me that's why if love is not complete reaching for him then coming to us through, through us to others then it's obsolete it will not work that's what John wants to say if we love one another then he abides in us and his love is perfected in us it's going to work its way out if we love one another. That's, that's hard. So, how do we get this perfected love, this complete love that, that is willing to just burst out the seams to meet people's needs? How do we get this love inside of us? How does this happen for us? We have to... Depend upon God as the source of love or we will not be able to love. Not able to love. God is love but love is not God. And if I don't depend upon God for love if I don't see that phrase there in verse 7 that love is from God and I'm depending upon Him for it then I'm actually going to start to worship love itself have to depend upon God as the source of love and let Him perfect His love in me, not me trying to perfect love. Because if I ever isolate, again, if I ever isolate God from love, then I'm going to make a God out of love. I have to depend upon Him. So that's why verse 19 says this. It, um, we love because He first loved us. Alright? We don't love because we ought to. Though that's true we ought to, but that's not why we love. We love because his love met us. And we are using that source to love others. That's why we love. There's no other reason. It's not my decision. It's not my working it out. It's because of him. Uh, just let me run, rattle through some of these verses to show you the magnitude of John's focus on the love coming from God himself. Verse 7 says that love is from God. Verse 8, towards like the end of the verse, says God, God is love. Verse 10, in this is love that He loved us. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And then of course verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Where in the world in this passage does it talk about, because of my effort to love, I'm perfecting love within me? It doesn't say that anywhere. It's God who perfects His love in me. And so if the love is coming from God to me and being perfected by Him in me to go out to other people, then I simply have to do this. Do your work, God. But that takes faith. See, we, we're so works-minded. We think like, oh, God's love has be perfected in me, so this is what I'm going to do. Make this list of how I'm going to love people. I'm going to have a more sentimental feeling. Stop listening to hardcore rock before I get to church. so I'm more in a better mood. Start listening to Mozart or something. We all love people. I, I don't know where that, like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's not the idea at all. His love, His work in us. So that means, I surrender, I let go, and by faith, which means I'm trusting His work in me, that's how it's going to be accomplished. will show you this in two ways, okay? Two steps of faith. The first is in verse 12. and It's basically this. When we decide to love, God will provide the power to love. When I decide to love, He will provide the power to love. Verse 12 says it like this. No one's ever seen God. If, note the if. This is a conditional with a promised result, okay? If we love one another, then what happens is God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. See what happens? If I take that first step of faith to simply choose, I want to love people, Then it says that God is going to come into me with His power. He's going to abide in me, and He's going to bring the power to perfect my love for others. But it's my faith to say, God, you tell me to love others, so I desire to. And that faithful act of saying, I want to, He's going to flood in with His power and perfect the love through you. So when I decide to love, He will provide the power to perfect that love. The second step of faith is in verse 16. And it's basically this. When we seek to know God's love for us, He will grow our love for others. When we seek to know His love for us, He will grow our love for others. Verse 16. So we have come to know... And to believe, so know and believe are the same thing. To know God is to believe in God. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Then verse 17. By this, by what? Verse 16, which I just read. Which if we come to know God, His love abides in us. Verse 17's result. By this, love is perfected with us. So if I seek to know God and His love, He's going to come and grow my love for other people. Let me let me just put this in simpler terms. If I desire to know of the love that God has given to me through Jesus Christ, and I want to believe that more, I want to know, I want to experience it, I just want to cherish and treasure it, that's called worship. If that's my desire, if that's my faith, thank you for your love, God, like we did at Communion, then He's going to come and grow our love for other people. My belief in God will result in my behavior towards others. So that's, that's why we want, to, the, we want to focus. That's why John started the whole half, first half of the book saying, Love Jesus, love Jesus, please love Jesus. Because if we master loving Jesus, everything we're looking at towards the end of this book is a natural byproduct. This whole loving each other thing. So then again, that's why verse 19 says, We love others. I'm inserting that word. It's implied. We love others because He first loved us. It is simple awareness of how great His love is that I will grow in my love for other people. So it's all His work. It's just my two steps of faith. My choice to want to love. He'll come do the rest. And then my wanting to know His love more. He's going to come and work the rest through me as well. Wait, I have to, I have to, some of you might, if I was sitting in your shoes and I was reading out the New King James right now, I'd be going crazy at this point. Um, Verse 19 reads differently in the New King James than other translations. That says, um, what does it say? Um, We love God because he first loved us. The majority of uh, translations will pull that word God out. We love because God first loved us rather than we love God. So they're trying to say we love others because God first loved us. That obviously fits the context better. The reason for the difference to make a big study short is um, there are two schools of manuscripts with very minor differences and that's one of the differences. Most translations take a separate side of manuscripts. So just so you know, if you're going crazy, like Brandon, it doesn't say if we love others because we love God. Well, that's where it's coming from. Alright, back to our erase that thought if you don't even care. So, this is where this is the head point now of it all this comes to perfected love perfect love equals perfect assurance everything that we're coming to here if god has perfected his love in me towards others as an extension of his love for me then i have assurance of eternal life that perfected love is there i have assurance so Perfect love gives us a fearless confidence of the future. This is our assurance. A fearless confidence of the future day of judgment. Verse 17 and 18 is the whole heart of this. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence or assurance for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That fear is a fear of the day of judgment. And he goes on to explain that. For fear has to do with punishment. It's worried sick that God is going to punish us for our sins. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, if that's your boat and you're just terrified of the day of judgment before God if you just have the searing conviction of sin and that you're not right with Him, guaranteed His love is not perfected in you because fear is there. But when His love is perfected in us because of everything we've been talking about, it just, it just comes out of us for other people. That fear is gone. Because we know at that point that we are His children and there is absolutely no punishment for God's children. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight one zero. So... Having this perfect love gives us perfect assurance in our salvation. Four ways, and we'll be done. How perfect love provides our perfect assurance. Number one, perfected love cannot be perfected. Think about that. Perfected love can't be improved upon. So if my love has been perfected, I can't get any better to get to heaven in a better way or anything like that. I'm there. I've reached the goal which my life has been designed for. God designed us to love each other, to manifest His presence through our love. He's invisible. He becomes visible through our loving. So, if, like, verse 12 says, um, that His love is perfected in us, how can you improve on that? You can't. You have assurance right there. So, perfected love cannot be improved. Number two, perfect love possesses the Holy Spirit, verse Thirteen. By this we know that we abide in Him and Him in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. When God perfects His love in you, He also gives His Holy Spirit to you. And you know that you're a Christian. Because Ephesians 1.13 and 14 say that God gives His Holy Spirit to His people as a down payment for the rest that He's going to give to you later. What's the rest? your whole inheritance of heaven and eternal life and being with God Himself, Him being your God and you being His people, all that's to come if you have the Holy Spirit. It's a down payment. The rest is going to come. So, possession of the Holy Spirit promises possession for the rest of God's promises. Like that? Possession of the Holy Spirit promises possession of God's promises. You let that one sink (laughs) in. Number three. Perfect love lives the way Jesus lived. Verse 17, it's that very last sentence. It says, Because as he is, so also are we in this world. What in the world does that mean? As he is, so also are we in the world. What is God? How was God? He is, so also are we. What does he mean? What have we what has the passage said that God is? Yeah, God is love. So, how is... When it says He is, it's talking about His love. Jesus is love for His disciples while He's on the earth. As He is love for His disciples, so also are we on the earth when love's perfected in us. That's what it means. So, I'm living like Jesus, perfected love for others. If I'm living like Jesus, can you have better assurance of eternal life? Like, what other model do you need to follow? Jesus is a... Has eternal life, so if I'm living like Jesus, I do too. So that's great, perfect insurance, uh, assurance. Fourth, perfect love casts out fear of future judgment, and that's very clearly in the text. That perfect love casts out that fear. And that's of course in verse 18. Um, through faith, those who have God's love perfected in them cling to God's promises, like Romans 8 verse 37. And 39, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, that's assurance, (laughs) I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that perfected love is in us, casting out all that doubt so that we have assurance, casting out all that fear so that we know with full confidence that when the day of judgment comes, we have zero condemnation. And His love will never be separated, but it's there for us. Christian, at the end, the judgment is for those who refuse eternal life. We're going to stand before God and He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. There is zero fear. So, if we allow God to perfect His love in us, we have perfect assurance of eternal life. Our question is, are we letting God perfect His love in us? Is that working its way out to other people? Or is it incomplete and therefore obsolete? So, Father, I pray that You would bring Your power to perfect Your sacrificial, generous giving with wanting nothing in return type of love work that in us perfect it through us because I want assurance I want perfect assurance that I am exactly where I need to be in your kingdom and so Father we know that it's not up to us to perfect this it's your love being perfected in us so, all we can do at this point is ask you that you would do that. And God, you're greater than our rebellious hearts. So, I pray that you come and remove rebellion from us where we're definitely struggling with a desire to love. God, help us to understand and to know ever so intimately the love that you've given to us. And let that abide in us, Father, because that cannot be kept within. Oh, let us know your love and the riches and the depth. Let us drink deep from that spring that we may have plenty to give to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.